Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature John Stott, described as the presumptive Pope of the Evangelicals. Whether in the West or in the Third World, a hallmark of Stott's ministry has been expository preaching that addresses not only the hearts, but also the minds of contemporary men and women. Today, John Stott asks the question, Who is this baby Jesus? You know, one of the greatest challenges which Christmas forces upon our attention concerns the identity of this baby. Who is this baby Jesus, whose birth we celebrate year by year at Christmas time? Born in a stable, laid in a manger, visited by shepherds, worshipped by wise men from the East. Who on earth is this child? And I wonder very much, if I may say so, whether you have yet made up your mind as to the identity of Jesus. It seems true that in every generation, down the long centuries of the Church's uh, history, both the friends and the enemies of Jesus have tried to rediscover him for themselves and to represent him to the world in a way that resonates with their own culture. So we've had Jesus the teacher, Jesus the prophet, Jesus the ascetic, Jesus the clown of God's spell, Jesus the disillusioned celebrity of superstar, Jesus the capitalist, Jesus the socialist, Jesus the revolutionary, Jesus the radical, Jesus the wonder drug. The list is almost endless. Yet all the time we are asking the same question. Who is the authentic Jesus? Now I wanted to introduce our subject tonight like that because the text that has been set for us this evening makes a substantial contribution to his portrait as the authentic Christ. I think you might like to turn to the passage in your Bible. It was, I think, the second reading we have in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and it's on page 1028. I won't, of course, read it all. I'll read a little bit in a moment. But please find the place now, page 1028. I'm anxious that we should get the context in our mind. You know, a text without a context is a pretext. You've heard that old saying. So we've got to see our text in its context. Joseph and Mary had brought the infant Jesus into the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him to God. Because the Jewish law prescribed certain rituals regarding the firstborn son in any family. So Joseph and Mary arrived in the temple to present the boy Jesus to God. But at the very same moment, somebody else arrived in the temple. 
He was an old fellow. His name was Simeon. He was a resident in Jerusalem. Luke tells us that he was both righteous and religious. Righteous in his character and devout in his attitude to God. He believed the teaching of the Old Testament prophets, the great ones who had written 600, 700 years before Christ. He believed what the prophets had said, that one day God was going to send his Messiah, son of David, the king of kings, to rule over his people. Simeon believed that, and he was waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And so we read that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and by that same Holy Spirit, we're not told how, there was revealed to him the fact that he, Simeon, would not die until he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. So now this was the dramatic situation that Luke describes. On the one side, there is Joseph and Mary bringing the baby into the temple. On the other, there is old man Simeon waiting, waiting. And suddenly, the spark unites them, and Simeon realizes that that baby is this Christ whom God had promised should come. It's a most dramatic moment. Simeon's eyes were open to identify the baby boy as the Messiah of God that he'd been waiting for. So he took the baby up in his arms as a symbol of his recognition and of his welcome. He praised God and he said, Now I'm ready to die. Now God has fulfilled his promise and he was ready for the end of his life. His eyes had seen what he'd been waiting to see. So that's the context, okay? Now let's look at the text. This is what Simeon went on to say. You've got the Bible open, verse 29 of Luke chapter 2. It's his prayer. Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, that is that I wouldn't die till I've seen the Lord's Christ, as you've promised, now you may dismiss your servant in peace. Because my eyes have seen what I've been waiting to see all these years. My eyes have seen your salvation. A light. Your salvation which you've prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary were utterly astonished at what was said about him by Simeon. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, here's another thing about the boy. The child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, I want to suggest to you these two or three things that are told us in this great passage about the identity of the baby. One, Jesus is the salvation of God. My eyes have seen your 
salvation. Now, what his eyes had actually seen was a baby boy. That's what his physical eyes had seen, but his spiritual eyes that had been opened by the Holy Spirit had seen the identity of the child as the salvation of God. Now, I think I may know at once what some of you are feeling. Salvation is an uncomfortable word. Sin and salvation are archaic, obsolete words. They belong to a traditional religious vocabulary that doesn't mean much to many people today. And yet sin and salvation in the Christmas story are words that recur again and again. Think of these. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Again, unto you is born in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. So we could go on, verse after verse. The Father sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sin and salvation belong to the vocabulary of the Christmas story. We cannot escape them. So, it's perfectly true that some people are mystified by the words, other people are embarrassed by them, or maybe amused by them, and we need to take time and trouble to understand them. Sin, I can still remember the illumination it was to me as a young man when I first understood this, that sin in biblical terms is self-centeredness. Sin is the assertion of myself against the authority of God and against the love of God and against the welfare of my neighbor. Sin is self-centeredness. Sin is an unwillingness to let God be God, an unwillingness that God should rule in his own universe because if you don't mind, I'd prefer to run it myself and my own life. But sin is a refusal to let God have his rightful place. And all our disorientation, all our loneliness, all our sense of alienation are due to this estrangement from God that is due to our sin. Sin brings us under the judgment of God, under the banishment of God. And then salvation, salvation is the divine rescue of sinners from all that condition we've been thinking about. God's salvation is God coming to the rescue of those like us who cannot save themselves. And he came as a historical human being. He came to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life of love himself. He had no sin of his own for which to atone, but deliberately and voluntarily he went to the cross. And on the cross as he died, he identified himself with our sin as if he were the guilty sinner. And in that awful, desolate, God-forsaken darkness of the cross, he was bearing our sin and guilt and judgment in his own innocent person. All that is the meaning of sin and salvation. And as Simeon saw the baby in his mother's arms, he recognized him. He said, this is God's 
salvation. My eyes have seen the salvation of God. Now, dear friend, tell me, have you seen that? Have your eyes been opened as the eyes of Simeon were opened to see this first aspect of the identity of the baby, that he is the salvation of God, the one come from God to set us free from the bondage of our own self-centeredness? How wonderful it is to see that. Jesus was not just a teacher of ethical platitudes, He was not just a prophet, he was the fulfillment of prophecy. He was not just a good man, a wise man, a godly man. He was the salvation of God. The person God had prepared and sent to be the saviour of the world. Now secondly, Jesus Christ is not only the salvation of God, he is the light of the world. And that's where the title comes from for tonight, a beacon is lit. A light shines in the darkness. For the text says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all the nations. A light for revelation to the Gentile nations and for the glory of his people Israel. A double sense of light. On the one hand, he was the light for revelation to the Gentile nations. In the past, God had left the Gentile nations in semi-darkness. But now, the light of Christ was shining upon them. The nations would find in Christ, as you and I can find in Jesus Christ today, the light of forgiveness after the darkness of alienation, the light of freedom from what Malcolm Muggeridge used to call the dark little dungeon of my own ego. And again the light of love and joy and peace to replace the darkness of hate and pain and conflict. So on the one hand Jesus came to be a light to reveal to the nations and also to be the glory of God's people Israel. But God had promised that his servant, a shadowy figure of the coming Messiah, would be a light to lighten the nations and to be the glory of his people Israel. Those phrases are taken straight out of Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. So the coming of Christ to be the light of the world is the glory of Israel, the fulfillment of the destiny of Israel as the chosen people of God. To us, who are believers in Jesus, it is a great tragedy that Jewish people reject him. Not by any means all. Some of the finest Christians I've ever met have been Hebrew Christians, Christians or Jewish people who've come to see in Jesus the fulfillment of their nation's destiny, but still many do not. Do not see that he is the glory of Israel. He is the fulfillment of the destiny of Israel, the climax of their whole purpose in the mind of God. So, how is it with us? I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody who is living in darkness. For some it is the darkness of alienation from God. 
For others it is the darkness of guilt and of a guilty conscience. For others it is the darkness of bereavement and loneliness. For others it is the darkness of our self-centered prison. For others the darkness of fear, maybe especially the fear of death and of what may lie beyond death. Into that deep darkness the light of Christ shines. Indeed, the light of Christ can dispel the darkness from our lives. I think I can bear testimony to that, that it is true that he is light in human darkness. So he is the salvation of God and he is the light of the world. And for a few moments, thirdly, he is the cause of division. It's sad we need to go on to this, but Simeon spoke of it. After his hymn of praise to God, he went on, verse 34, This child is set, this child is destined to be the cause of the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Now often in scripture, Jesus Christ is likened to a rock. Follow the rock is the subject of this whole series of sermons. And because he's likened to a rock, a rock can have two possible consequences. Either we can stumble and fall over it and bark our shins on the rock, or we can step onto it and make it the foundation of our lives and build upon it. And so it is that there are two possible attitudes to Jesus Christ. Either he makes us stumble and fall, or he enables us to rise and to climb. So I wonder which it is for us, the rising and the falling. It all depends on our attitude to Christ. To some he's a sign that is spoken against. People despise him and they reject him. To other people accept him and identify with his cause and they experience what Mary experienced, a sword passing through their own heart the pain that comes of sharing in his own rejection. But through this, the hearts, the thoughts of many hearts are revealed. Nothing, I'm afraid, nobody divides people like Jesus Christ. Of course, nobody unites people like Christ. If they are numbered among his followers, there is a deep union of love between us, but nobody divides like him because nobody reveals the secret attitudes of our hearts like Christ. Friends, when we are face to face with Jesus Christ, we are forced to be either for him or against him. That is to say, neutrality is an impossibility. We are obliged to choose. And as we choose for him or against him, we either fall or rise. We either stumble or climb. We either die or live. So here are three facets of the person of Jesus Christ. The salvation of God, the light of the world, the cause of division. May I conclude like this? If God has opened our eyes, 
as he opened the eyes of Simeon to see something of the identity of this baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, if we've seen what Simeon saw, I think we need to do what Simeon did. And that was to take the baby in his arms. Oh, we can't do that literally. Of course, there isn't any baby here that we can literally take into our arms. Nor do I mean instinctively. There's so many of us, whenever you see a little baby, your instinctive reaction is to take up the child and give it a cuddle. But we're not talking about the literal and we're not talking about the instinctive. We're talking about the symbolical. To take Jesus into our arms is a symbol of receiving him, welcoming him, identifying him, and determining that we're going to live our lives to the praise of his glory. Of course, some of us who are old like myself can say with Simeon, Now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant. Now I'm ready to die because I've seen him. But you're younger, most of you, and you can say, I'm not going to die yet. I'm going to live to the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So we are confronted by Jesus Christ no longer a baby but crucified risen, ascended reigning and one day coming again and as we stand before him and he before us we have to choose to before him or against him there is no neutrality possible Is there somebody here who in the silence of his or her heart will take Jesus up into their arms as Simeon did and make him their own? Lord Jesus Christ, our humble prayer is that we may so embrace you in our arms that we may live for you and make you the Savior, the Lord of our lives and live to the praise of your glory. We ask it for the glory of your great name. Amen. You've been listening to John Stott. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.